having had the chance to literally have gay neighbors has forever changed the way that I now love that community because yeah. if I'm getting teary, I'm just talking about it. They parented so well, they loved so well, they were so generous. Things that we value in humanity. Ah, mm-hmm. getting teary-eyed. Um, but again, that does not always square with what I know to be true. Yeah. Um with my theology. And so there just has to be room for grace on both ends of that spectrum. Hey, and welcome back to the All Things All People podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Jenkins. And if you don't already know, All Things All People exists to raise up generations of Christian thinkers to understand and reach the world around them with the transformative message of the gospel. Simply put, We want to teach Christians how to think like a Christian. And this week we have two episodes. You are actually listening to the second episode of the week. If you haven't listened to the first episode of the week, the one that dropped at our normal time early Monday morning, go back and listen to the one minute apologist, Bobby Conway. That interview was a lot of fun. Bobby was a phenomenal guest, a great example of a Christian thinker. But today, we actually have a special one for you with Dr. Christina Crenshaw. And Dr. Crenshaw and I were able to have an awesome conversation about some of the events that she's been through in the last month that you're gonna hear more about in this episode. And the reason why we're dropping it special is, you know, we have a lot of guests on the show and we have a long calendar of, of publishing dates and you know there's a lot that goes into the show of when you drop each episode depending on if someone's promoting a book uh, if if something is happening around you know we have uh, an episode attached to Easter that really needs to go the week before Easter and so there wasn't really a good place in our normal schedule to drop this episode with Dr. Crenshaw, but the topic and the events that surround the episode are a little time sensitive because about a month ago, as you're going to hear us talk about, Dr. Crenshaw went through an instance at Baylor University where she is a professor and lecturer where she experienced um, being accused of being transphobic because of something she said on Twitter of all places. And I don't mean to make light of that. I know that a lot of people um, take that topic very seriously as I do. Um, And uh, Dr. Crenshaw's story is one of persevering against people who not only have a different opinion, which as you're gonna hear, she has no problem with people who disagree with her on issues of gender dysphoria, uh, and uh, transgender rights and and the conversation surrounding it. But what she took issue with was how she was treated because she viewed that issue through an Orthodox Christian worldview. And I'm excited for you to hear that episode. And so that's the reason why we dropped it here special on a Wednesday morning is that we wanted to get it to you as soon as we could. We felt like it was perfectly acceptable to disrupt the normal timeline to do that. And so I'm excited for you to hear from Dr. Crenshaw, along with being a professor, lecturer, and a researcher and academic of the highest quality. Dr. Crenshaw uh, is a human trafficking advocate working with organizations like the A21 campaign, Unbound Now, the Texas Governor's Human Trafficking Task Force, the Heart of Texas Human Trafficking Coalition, Operation Mobilization, and a bunch of others. 
down there in Waco doing a fantastic job teaching at Baylor, teaching the next generation of Christian thinkers, which is the heart of what we do at All Things All People. It was an honor to have her on the show. And we were really, really, really lucky to get her. She's recently been on Fox News. She's recently been on some other popular podcasts. And for her to identify in all things, all people, like-mindedness was a serious honor for me. And, uh, and for Josh and Ben as well, and everybody else who's a fan of all things, all people. And so if that's you, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're listening. Make sure to go check out all things all people on Instagram. If you have any questions, follow up comments, concerns, make sure to email me at Jeremy at all things, all people.org. Be on the lookout in this next month. As I've said, the last couple episodes, we're going to be having a pop-up shop with some awesome merchandise. Uh, and actually this weekend, Josh and I are going to speak at a retreat in Georgia for a, a youth ministry. And if you're interested in having me or, or one of the other guys from all things, all people come speak at an event, you can go on our website, all things, and fill out our speaking interest form. Or like I said, just reach out to me at Jeremy at all things, all But enough about me. This show is not about me or any of the other guys. It's about the Christian thinkers that are so cool enough to come on the show. And this week's Christian thinker is Dr. Christina Crenshaw. Let's do it. My next guest is a professor at Baylor University, a researcher, writer, human trafficking fighter, and an advocate for the integration of faith and culture. Having earned her PhD from Baylor and having a successful career in teaching and advocacy, she recently lived out the public interpretation of faith in a difficult way after being criticized and attacked for speaking on the controversial issue of trans rights in this uh, difficult to navigate world that we live in currently. Uh, an amazing advocate, teacher, speaker, researcher, writer. So it's my honor to have on the show today, Dr. Christina Crenshaw. Dr. Crenshaw, thank you so much for giving me some of your time. Yes, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Jeremy. Well, uh, it has been a whirlwind of a month for you. Um, I, I first became aware of your story uh, through just some of the craziness of the last month and seeing you on other, you were recently on Fox news of all places, which yeah. is probably not a place that you ever thought you were going to find yourself. Well, yeah, it was, it was crazy, crazy timing. Um, in the, in the midst of this whirlwind, but it was also in the middle of our Texas ice storm. So we yeah. were just hoping our electricity stayed on to even do the interview, but no, could not have foreseen that coming by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. So for, for listeners who are unaware, and we'll, we'll talk about this here in just a little bit, but you know, it, the, the issue that you were in the midst of, of, of a statement you made that um, I can certainly vouch for, and, and we'll talk about it, but um, a, a statement that you made discussing some of the regulations that have come into play about uh, LGBTQ rights and trans rights and things like that. But that is not who you are. You know, one thing that I get upset about with some interviews um, is, you know, looking into you, you are so much more interesting and there's so much more depth to you than just somebody who fired out a tweet about trans rights. And so before we talk about what happened, I want my listeners to understand really who you are. You have, have a, uh, a long and vibrant career in teaching at, at the university level at Baylor University, which is a world-class institution and also advocating um, for, for some very well-known organizations for human trafficking. So can you kind of give a little bit of your background of how actually you want people to know who Christina Crenshaw is? 
Sure. Thank you. And thank you for asking. Um, yeah. So I would say first and foremost, I'm a wife and a mother, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't make decisions without, I mean, they're inter- they're interdependent on each other, you know, like that is part of who I am too. And I think that also speaks to my concern with the tweet. Um, I am an anti-trafficking advocate. I've sort of made that my research agenda mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I come from a long line of educators. My mother has her master's in English and taught high school and college by both of her brothers are college professors. Um, so long line of academia, long love for the academy, you know, intellectually curious uh, kind of people. Um, I do things from an on- unapologetic Christian worldview. I try to see the gospel in all of the things I do. It's one of the reasons I so very much love anti-trafficking work because what an opportunity to do redemption and restoration in the public square. Even if you are partnering with people who don't necessarily share that gospel perspective, that does not negate the fact that the Lord is still moving through that. So I would say kind of bigger picture, that's who I am, educator, wife, mom, you know, believer in advocating for the marginalized, specifically within anti-trafficking. So, yes. Um, So which makes maybe the tweet all that much more ironic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Baylor University, for those who don't know, is is a Christian university, um, has has a a very um, rich history of intellectual honesty, a research institution on, on, in, in, in for a seminary too, I think in Truett Seminary, that's phenomenally well known for putting out quality research. And, you know, the, th- the interesting thing about the university culture is that it's typically seen as a place where there's a free exchange of ideas. And has that, I mean, of course, leading up to the last month or so, obviously you've probably felt a little bit different, but has that been something that's always drawn you to teaching at the college level of, of a place where, young people are coming to learn how to engage fairly and, and wisely with the difficult issues of life and you helping, the, helping them navigate that for the first time in their life. Yeah, you know, so very few, if any, professors go into academia to indoctrinate, right? Like we go in because we want to create this place where students can gather and find truth. Little T, big T truths. You know, what I love about Baylor, um, since it is a a Christian university, you know, unapologetically, it puts it in its mission statement and markets itself as such. So, you know, it's not like clandestinely done. Like this is, you know, part of its marketing. Um, I love that there is opportunity to bring in biblical truths and ask students to grapple with that. I have always been, I believe, very balanced in bringing in more progressive uh, narratives that most would consider to be antithetical to, you know, orthodoxy tradition and asking my students to balance them. So for example, if I'm bringing in bell hooks or uh, Paulo Ferreri, um, you know, I I actually am a big fan of Cornell West, so it's not necessarily (laughs) been you know, compare him, but he is more progressive on the fake yeah. spectrum. And then I will bring in like some Timothy Keller, some Carol and Swallow Pryor to help my students balance and grapple. I want them to be aware of all the narratives so that when they encounter something that doesn't resonate as being truthful, they also have sort of this more biblical, robust worldview to, to, to help grapple with that. In fact, some of my students have reached out to me and said, I actually thought you were more progressive Mm -hmm. (laughs) than you are after this, because I think I've done such a great job of balancing. And to that point, the Lariat article that, you know, was written and very slanderous said, Dr. Crenshaw was on our LGBTQ safe list, and now we've had to take her off. So I think there's there's a lot of ironies in it, but that's just one of them. But I think it speaks to 
most people would say she's safe, she's reasonable, she creates an environment that fosters intellectual inquiry. And yes, from a biblical perspective, I would like yeah. to think, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's the, the perfect way for people to be introduced to you, because if you just start with, you know, the tweet and the Lariat article and all these things, I think people manufacture an image of um, who they think might be Christina Crenshaw. But what I think most, and I said this to you pre-show is I think, you know, if people really get to know you, they're going to say, wait, I think she's actually like, I think a lot of conservative Christians, especially I'm in North Carolina and right in the heart of the Bible belt, like you are in Texas. And I think a lot of conservative Christians would have looked at some of your stances and said, well, she might be a little bit too progressive for our taste. And now I'm like, now Christina's Dr. Crenshaw's the, the poster child for fighting cancel culture and all these things. And I'm just like, Oh my goodness. What for me, I go, what a perfect representative because she's not going to abuse this politically, but also at the same time, my heart almost goes out to you because if I had been in your situation, I would have gone never in my life. Did I think I would be the person that an LGBTQ crowd or, you know, a, a cancel culture or whatever you want to call it would be attacking. Um, but for listeners who don't know, and I, and I want to continue talking about university culture and what your heart is for teaching. Um, but just so everybody understands, there's, 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 there's this tweet, um, January 21st, and you were responding and Twitter's so funny now that now, now Twitter is like a, you feel like you're putting out a press release every time you tweet. And so you were responding to somebody else who was uh, engaging a discussion on some of the executive orders that President Biden has been putting into place regarding uh, LGBTQ rights and specifically the rights of trans people to, to participate in some of the allowances that Title IX has enacted on college campuses and public institutions. And the tweet was, what if I don't want biological boys in the bathroom with my biological daughter? Do the 99% of us who do not struggle with gender dysphoria have a voice? Um, if I were to just read that tweet and not know anything about you, I would say that's a well-reasoned question. Um, I, you used the correct terminology. You weren't hateful in your terminology. So why don't you take me to that? And then the Lariat article, which for those who don't know, is the student newspaper, um, at Baylor university. And I'll go ahead and say this too. And you and I talked about this pre-show. I have no interest in running the Lariat or any students. These are young people. These are 18 to 22 year olds who are figuring out the world. I, the decisions and things I said when I was 21, um, these kids are probably wiser than I am in a sense. So, so all that to say, um, why don't you take us to what happened after that and why it is now that you find yourself in, in the midst of this uh, new season of your life doing podcast interviews? This firestorm. Right. So Dan Darling was the person who initially mm -hmm. sent out the tweet and it's become sort of this private joke with, with Dan and me now that, you know, I'm like, I can never publicly respond to your tweet again. Yeah. Um, so just because apparently the world is watching. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Dan used to be part of the ERLC. He was the VP mm -hmm. of the ERLC. I don't know if your listeners are familiar. And now he works for NRB, which is the national radio broadcast. Ironies of all ironies. It's a free speech Christian organization organization, you know, so like just there's so many funny ironies in this. Uh, so he was expressing concern, as you had stated. And I would say, you know, really, of course, I had no way of foreseeing that this would go viral or be the tweet shot around the evangelical world that week. Um, but I will say when I initially responded, 
I really was just thinking as a mother, as a woman, as an anti-trafficking advocate, um, this, this is my opinion. And, and I was frustrated, you know, I wasn't trying to be rude or slanderous was not honestly, even thinking about people who are transgender per se, Mm -hmm. as much as I was thinking about what about those of us who this is deeply going to impact, you know, do we get any kind of a voice? Because this was an executive order. Mm-hmm. So Title IX doesn't just um, impact college campuses. Title IX also applies to K through 12 students mm-hmm. as well. So, um, you know, even if we aren't as concerned for those of us who are legally adults, I'm concerned for what this means for kids. Uh, so a whole week goes by and I don't think people don't pay much attention to it. A few people like it, you know, just tw- normal Twitter behavior. But then somebody, and I don't know who it was. I mean, there's no really way of knowing with Twitter, but um, the LGBTQ group at Baylor tags it, retweets it. It brings out this mob. Even then, I'm not so worried because I'm thinking it's, it's going to do its thing. It's going to die down. I don't really have reason to be concerned. Then a student tells me we're reporting you to Title IX. Which even then, Jeremy, I thought, okay, I mean, Title IX is going to get this and they're going to read it and they're going to say, okay, you're going to report Dr. Control to Title IX for criticizing Title IX. Like she hasn't done anything wrong. She's, you know, really respected on campus. I have no other issues. You know, I just, I, and it is, you know, for the record, what ends up happening. Title IX never reached out to me. But the students were not satisfied with that. So then they write this really slanderous article in their paper And the title of it essentially is Dr. Crenshaw tweets transphobic message. And the rest of the article is making a case for why this LGBTQ group not only had to take me off their safe list, but needs to be a sanctioned campus group in order to get rid of these sorts of um, belief systems. Mm -hmm. Um, A week goes by, there's an outcry from the Christian community. How could you allow a Christian university to throw a Christian professor under the bus for espousing Orthodox traditional Christian beliefs. Um, it was, it was a, an egregious injustice. I mean, really. Uh, but then the provost, uh, to her credit, to Baylor's credit, comes out with a free speech defense. She doesn't say my name, um, but she uses the example and the tweet and says, we are not going to allow students to dictate the rights of free speech for faculty and staff, mm-hmm. um, particularly if this free speech is a religious expression and within university mission. Then the students are further enraged and start a petition to get me fired, which Again, she had just said, we're not firing her, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't sufficient. So they started a petition. Uh, Yeah. So I think, as you had mentioned earlier, it's easier to have, I think, grace and compassion for these people who are 18 and 22, who, you know, by the time we get to our age and, you know, 40s, like we realize they are just children. It has made me wonder, like, where are the adults on this? I think a lot of people have raised awareness. I've even written into the Lariat, like, who is your faculty advisor? Because this slipped through the crack or was permitted in a way that mm-hmm. should not be tolerated. Um, so in that sense, yes, that, yeah. that has been concerning. Yeah. And I think interestingly enough is, is really at the heart of it is you, and, and we should say um, the Lariat uh, published a an edit to say that they apologized to you and they recognized. I would imagine this is when the faculty got involved, but um, that that they recognized it as slanderous that they shouldn't have published it. They shouldn't have used the word transphobic, but that doesn't change the fact that an institution on your campus, a Christian campus, but 
to a certain degree, that that almost doesn't really matter as much as the fact that your tweet and your statement was not transphobic. You were asking a question. You were asking a question of saying 99% of us do not recognize uh, or do not struggle with gender dysphoria. What does that mean for those of us who still have concerns? And instead of engaging the question and the merit of your question and potentially even offering a response, it seemed as if the students who once again are, yeah, they're, they're young people and they're figuring out how to do this, but they jumped to responding the way they did. What do you think that says about maybe the real issue at hand, which is um, you're somebody who has fought for justice your entire adult career and you saw an injustice happening and, it, and, and now instead of being engaged with, like we said, the university campus, especially Baylor, is well known as a place where ideas are often dealt with by two opposing sides. Um, there was none of that. It was, we need to get this person out of here. What do you think that says about the direction of not just Baylor, but, but our culture in general that says, nope, she's transphobic and she needs to be gone? Right. Well, I think we hear a lot these days about cancel culture and for good reason. I can't say that I personally was too worried about it this time last year, but we seem to, there's an increase of it. And I want to say in the, in, in the interest of being balanced and being fair, there are a few studies, one in particular out of Harvard that looks at cancel culture. And it turns out that both sides do this, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I get a little frustrated when people who lean, you know, more conservative want to say it's just the left, but here is what I've noticed and what the study actually finds as well is that typically when the the left does it, they go after a person. And then when the right does it, they usually go after a movement. And so that is, and so I think that there are some, some sort of like personal differences and collateral damage in that. Like, you know, the, the right is always looking to cancel like Disney and next Netflix, mm -hmm. but oftentimes the left will go after a person. And so again, that does not exclusively, it's not a dichotomy, but there are some studies to show that. And that has been just sort of what I've seen in the public square as, as well. Um, but kind of coming back to the, what, where does that mean for kind of campus culture? Again, there's so many ironies in the story, but another one being that I asked a question, I said, do the rest of us have a voice? And then the rebuttal to that, essentially the collective rebuttal was no, you don't, <laughs> right, you, you don't. don't. Yeah. We're going to make sure that you don't have a voice on this. Um, and we're going to give you a label that shuts down rather than fosters conversation that looks to, to kind of put you pigeonhole you into a place that nobody wants to touch. And we're just going to, to cancel your voice or your right to engage this. Um, I, most reasonable adults, and I don't know how we want to define adults, but what I've noticed have come, even if they don't theologically agree, or even if, you know, there's some, by some odd reasoning, they don't biologically agree. Um, they at least agree with the sentiment that you have the right to free speech and religious expression. So it concerns me. I see this younger generation who has become, um, I don't know if indoctrinated is the right word, but they've started to believe this idea that is really dangerous to, I think, a pluralistic society. And it can be very uh, dangerous to the church. And that's that we're not going to have conversations. We're just going to believe whatever the popular narrative is. Mm -hmm. And there's no discussion or civil discourse around it. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, I'm sure this isn't the only cultural moment in history where this has happened, but this is the only cultural moment in history where we have all had an online voice yeah. with, in real time. That has never happened before in the history of humanity. So I think that's what, that's what makes 
makes navigating this so tricky is that people who historically would not rise to the top as experts or voices now have a voice that can really shut down conversation. And it's worrisome. It's concerning. It's worrisome. And I do see, you know, we've seen to, I think Fox News asked me like, Baylor isn't Berkeley. Are you shocked by this? Yeah. Yeah, And I'm like, well, there are people on campus who would like for it to be Berkeley. But I think it's a fair question. Like we all sort of assumed that this was a protected space to have these kinds of um, faith laden questions and or conversations. Um, and I don't know. I don't know anymore. I, I think yeah. we have a lot of work to do, not necessarily as faculty and staff, but with our students. That's mm-hmm. where the conversation needs to happen. Like, yeah. what does appropriate engagement look like? Yeah. I think that one of the most difficult parts of this, and yes, it is that Baylor is a Christian college. And while some people might hear that and say, well, then this should have never happened. But instead, what I would offer is to say, a Christian campus should be the place where conversations are most free to happen because, you know, historically Christianity has welcomed, uh, so, some people would disagree with the statement and I can certainly understand why, but Christianity has welcomed criticism. Um, and the open exchange of ideas, like, I think the reason you were likely on this quote unquote safe list that the Lariat mentioned is not that you essentially agreed with everything within the LGBTQ um spectrum of ideas was that you were willing to engage with that population in a fair and loving way to to the point where maybe they thought you disagreed with them or agreed with them more than you actually did. Um, What would you, you know, if you could have talked to that student before they wrote the article, Mm -hmm. what do you wish the conversation would have looked like? What do you like for listeners? Maybe they agree with you. Maybe they disagree with you. Um, on the issue of the tweet and particular LGBTQ rights, but what do you wish these conversations would look like if they were able to happen? Yeah. So I think, you know, it is a conversation. It can't just be a tweet or even a series of tweets. And I would say we have to move away from this idea of all or nothing. That just grates on my nerves. It's not constructive. It's not productive. And it's not reasonable. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I cannot align all of my political and theological beliefs. This is a pluralistic society. This is Mm -hmm. not a theocracy. And so specifically on LGBTQ rights, I mean, I can sincerely say, I believe in rights for everyone, no matter how you identify or Mm -hmm. you experience life, you know, within your sexuality or your biology. I mean, Mm -hmm. whatever your identity, you still deserve the same rights. So this sometimes, particularly in more conservative circles, is disconcerting for people. But as an American, I actually am an advocate for marriage or civil unions within the LGBTQ community. Because I do believe that if marriage is a right for those who identify as heterosexual, then I really can't, from an American civil rights perspective, deny somebody the right to a civil union just because they're not heterosexual. However, you, I cannot defend that theologically. Mm-hmm. I have looked into arguments, I have read, I have listened, and they're not very convincing or winsome. The hermeneutics behind it is... Um, woefully inadequate. So I think that I would sit down and I would say, I I support your rights. 
you know, like I, that doesn't necessarily mean that my theology is going to always align and I need you to have space for that. Um, just as I wouldn't go to Brigham Young University and ask them to get on board with my Christian worldview. I mean, there are some parts that would align, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of parts about Mormonism that would not align. And so I think that there just has to be space for understanding that not every circle is going to be able to transpose itself onto your ideology. And there just has to be room to agree to disagree around that. Um, I think at the heart of this too, is people want to know that they're loved, that they're valued, that they're seen. And I think that that's a place where the church can do a better job of saying, I love you. I value you. I see you. There is nothing, there's nothing wrong with you. Your inherent worth is not what is in question here. Mm -hmm. Just please don't ask me to adhere or acquiesce to things that my theology won't allow me to do. And so it really is this place of conversation, starting with, I see you, I love you, which I think my students feel when they come in the room and they probably wouldn't put me on the safe list. I think that there also needs to be conversation around, you know, like sometimes the way that we vote, as we saw in this last election, sometimes the way that we vote is not always going to align Right. with our theology and our civic duties, because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it just can't always, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think I would want my students, I would want these students to hear that it's a conversation and there has to be room for disagreement. I will tell a story too, if I can, if you think mm-hmm. your listeners would be interested, you know, we have, cause this was more from a younger crowd. I think older crowds know that like, of course the answer to this would be yes. But they would say, have you ever, have you ever known anybody who is gay? You know, of course, you know, we've yeah. had, you know, a, a, a former roommate of my husband's at our wedding was, is homosexual. Um, we've had friends in Boston. We've lived in San Diego. Uh, we lived next door for three years here in Waco, Texas to two gay married men. And my husband will always say that that absolutely formed the way that we have loved our literal neighbor. Mm -hmm. It didn't change our theology, but we loved these men and their four adopted children and they were doing life well. You know, so again, we had some theological disagreements. We had some political disagreements, but we lived life pretty closely. Kids played in each other's backyards. We did movie nights. We, you know, my in-laws bumper fell off and they replaced it. You know, I mean, just like really doing life well together in spite of the fact that there are some places of fundamental disagreement. We could at least all gather around. We love and respect each other for just being people, for just the humanity. And I would say it's divine humanity. I don't know that that would be their their answer, but the Imago Day in all of us is what I can love no matter people's worldviews, religious beliefs, political beliefs. That transcends any other identity for me. You were made in the image of God. He doesn't make mistakes. How we work that out is a little bit more problematic, but if we start from there, then Mm -hmm. there is more in common than there is that divides us. Yeah. Yeah. And and within that worldview that you're espousing there, like, I I think you use the phrase, you know, there's, you're welcome here. You're seen there's room for you. You know, there's room for you in my life. I'm not going to close it off, but I think the difficult part about what you experienced was you essentially were told there's not room for you. Right. You know, there's not, you know, we're for moral relativism, but we are certainly absolute when it comes to not just transphobia, but, mm-hmm. um, but even questioning any aspect of, you know, this, this set of views. And I mentioned it earlier in getting to know you better and, and reading about you 
it became painfully clear to me, you were never the most likely person to find yourself in this scenario Um, (laughs) because, you know, you are more, you are seen as more moderate, I believe in some circles. And I've had, you mentioned ERLC, I've had um, Russell Moore on this show and we've had Karen Swallow Pryor on the show. And um, you know, those are two people that often get criticized for, we might say making too much room in their life or even in Christianity for uh, people struggling with, with gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction or just liberalism in general. Um, what has been the difficult part for you in this, be, finding yourself on Fox News, finding yourself on some, some um, media outlets, we'll say, that are more conservative, are more unapologetically Republican, and you are now becoming uh, a spokesperson for a vantage point that you agree with a lot of people on, but you would have never gotten to the same, uh, you know, viewpoint in the same way or, or even communicate it in the same way. How has that been navigating with a conservative culture that you don't always find yourself in alignment with? Yeah. You know, so I have tried to stay clear of people that are really far right, either for political reasons or theological reasons that I know might have an agenda that doesn't align with mine. So I've, you know, gotten offers and I won't say, you know, who they are, but just really far right, like campus groups and that sort of thing. And I, and then some people, if they're listening, I just haven't had the time to get back to, but um, I've tried to stay clear of people that I know have an agenda. What's been challenging for me in navigating this is my heart. My goal is not to throw Baylor under the proverbial yeah. bus. You know, it helped shape and form and transform me. I have a PhD from there. My husband has an MBA from there. Because my kids live in Waco, Texas, they think they want to go there, you know. Um, so we'll see. They've still got about 10 years to figure that out. Yeah. But <laughs> You know, yeah. Uh, So we'll see. But my heart has just been to we need to raise awareness about some of these narratives that I do believe and maintain are are dangerous. They are more dangerous than they are helpful. Again, as believers, if we really believe that all truth is God's truth and we can invite people to come in and to bring their hard questions, right? Like very Francis Schaeffer style, like let's Mm -hmm. just let's look at these hard questions and let's put them, let's juxtapose them with what scripture says to be true. What we, you know, have sort of like orthodoxy says to be true. And let's, let's work this out together. Um, I think what concerns me is there's not as much room for that within these more contemporary postmodern narratives that, Mm -hmm. that, and I've, I've done a podcast on this even before this incident on critical theory. So mm-hmm. in my doctoral program, I did, you know, I studied a lot of critical theory within the English department, even within the social sciences. I want everybody to read on critical theory so that they can have a balanced perspective. There are some parts of different critical theories. You now, critical theory is kind of like the, the spoke or the hub to a lot of different spokes. Right. There are some places where I'm like, I can see some kingdom minded purposes, some work in here. I can mm-hmm. get on board with this. And then there's a lot that's like, that actually just is completely antithetical to what scripture says to be true. Um, I don't know that we're doing a good job. And by we, I mean the Christian community, we universities of asking students to hold tension between two competing narratives. Instead, we are wholesale adopting narratives that really have a lot of collateral damage. More than I would say are doing great work, they're actually doing a lot of harm. Now, people who have wholesale accepted these narratives would would strongly disagree. But again, this is where I'm just asking, you know, a question, can, can we talk about this because Mm -hmm. 
what I see coming out of a lot of these ideologies is more destructive than it is constructive. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I think it's amazing. I think in the last like five or six interviews I've done for this show, critical theory has come up. And so um, it's obviously, you know, one of the fastest rising, at least, um, ways of thinking. And for listeners, I'm not even going to try and explain critical theory, especially not talking to you because you would do a much better job, but it's a very vast and difficult topic to understand. And its background is so varied. Of course, the most popular iteration of it right now, at least in the discussion amongst evangelicals is critical race theory, um, extremely controversial right now. But what really what I hear from you um, and what I'd love for you to speak now for the listeners, because of course, most of the listeners of this show are evangelical Christians and whether we like it or not, um, and whether it's true or not, evangelicalism now has a reputation in the United States for not being a subset of people who, um, listens to two opposing set of, honestly, most non-Christians would say evangelicals do what you say is blindly believe wholesale a set of beliefs without ever questioning it and not allowing for discussion and question. They would say we are guilty of the exact same thing that the Lariat is guilty of. So, so speak for a moment in your opinion. And I know, you know, you might say that you never thought you'd be in a position where you're somebody who now has to teach evangelicals how to do this, but how is it that especially young evangelicals who hear of this situation and say, no, I want to be in the middle of this helping non-Christians and Christians or people who agree with LGBTQ rights and people who disagree. I want to be the person in the middle helping and engaging conversation in a vibrant, uh, explanation of my faith happen? How can this next generation of evangelicals be known as people who are doing what you're trying to do, even though I know you, you probably don't see yourself as a role model in that sense, but I believe that Lord's bringing you to position where unfortunately for you, uh, I think you're going to be in that position for a while now. So what would you say then to a young generation to say, no, we need you to not abandon these conversations? Right. Well, I would say I want to acknowledge that it is easier, though not necessarily God's best to live on the fringes. You know, I Mm -hmm. it's it's tempting and I have to constantly check myself from just gravitating towards a community that feels safer. So I think that that is why people do that on the right and on the left. It feels safer to just be validated and affirmed all day long. Mm -hmm. The middle, and I want to say there is a difference between being um, politically balanced and being, you know, theologically balanced, because I have been accused before of living in the gray, of being lukewarm. I'm like, I am not lukewarm about my faith, but you can accuse me of being lukewarm about my politics. I'm fine with that Mm -hmm. because the political winds shift and change every day. I think what is different is that, you know, theology really doesn't change. You know, like our interpretations, or I think we can look back in history and see where the church, more little C than I would say even big C has missed it, you know, you know specifically like with slavery, with, with um, civil rights for Black Americans, you know, mm-hmm. with interpretations for women in the church, you know, like there have been some denominations that have just missed it. Mm-hmm. So I do want to acknowledge there have been places where we have missed it. 
But I think that those are more of an interpretation than some sort of a change. It's not as if there was a rewrite to how we we read scripture. It's it's really an interpretation. Um, so I would say we've got to do, and I say we, like-minded evangelical believers, we've yeah. got to do a better job for ourselves and particularly for our children of giving them an apologetics hermeneutical background. I will, like my kids are in a private Christian school and I did that on purpose. You know, I did that because I want them to learn to see all truth as God's truth, to see God in science, to see God in math, to see God in the humanities, even when narratives, you know, like they were learning about Egyptians and, and Pharaoh and multiple wives, you know, my mm-hmm. second grader comes home and he's like, I thought you're only supposed to have one husband or wife, you know, and so it's things we're having to work through, but I, I want them to work out these hard cultural narratives, but I want them to do it always coming back to, okay, but what do we as best we can in our finite mind know to be true of scripture and to try and play that out. I think when we only allow ourselves or our children to have a one-sided perspective, then they get into college or they get into the real world and it's easy for them to be swept away by something that seems more winsome whereas if we have been working that out from the beginning and putting these in conversation and saying okay how do I how do I work out that my political alignment and my theological alignment are often there's a tension between the two and being okay with that tension um I just, I think, and and to your point, you're right. I have seen conservative Christians just retreat back into their camps and to refuse to engage the other side just as much as I have seen far right left people or far left Mm -hmm. people do the same thing. I do think that we're both guilty of that for those reasons that it's comfortable there, but we have to be willing, you know, God bless Karen Swallow Pryor. God bless people like Russell Moore who are willing to step into the fray because it'd be so much easier to just choose a side and stay there. But I'm thankful that they're there, like a voice, you know, kind of like in the chaos saying we have more in common than we do, you know, that's that we disagree on. And we gather around that. The hard part is discerning what is true in this and not acquiescing. Yeah. You know, and, and again, that, that is more nuanced. It's a nuanced conversation, not something you can just solve, but I, I would just say to parents and I would say, you know, for ourselves, you have to be willing to engage the hard perspective. I've learned so much from doing that. Um, There are times when my opinion has certainly changed, but again, like with the the example of my neighbors, sometimes my opinion changes, but my theology doesn't, you know, Mm -hmm. like I having had the chance to literally have gay neighbors has forever changed the way that I now love that community because I'm getting teary. I'm just talking about it. They parented so well. They loved so well. They were so generous. Things that we value in humanity. Ah, mm-hmm. getting teary-eyed. Um, but again, that does not always square with what I know to be true yeah. um, with my theology. And so there just has to be room for grace yeah. on both ends of that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I had uh, Dr. Pryor on the show, she and I spoke a little bit about this. And she, I think she was quoting Tim Keller, of all people, when she said, um, what we need to realize as Christians is that if you are, quote unquote, against homosexuality, and then your view, your theological view changes because you become dear friends with a homosexual and you think, how can I be against homosexuality um, and love this person? Uh, she said, then you were against homosexuality for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I think that's what I want non what I want Christians, non-Christians, homosexuals to hear you. And I say is 
and I don't even like saying against homosexuality, of course, you know, theologically speaking, we are, but you know, it's actually the, um, I might offend some people here, but to, I would say it's actually more bigoted. If you find yourself in a position where you are only against a viewpoint because you don't know anybody with that view. Yeah. And, and then when you begin to rub elbows with people outside of your tribes or your camps, as you said, and you're, and you find yourself, your worldview shifting to a young person listening to this, I would say, stop what you're doing right then and there. Don't retreat, but realize that your worldview might've been built on a very faulty foundation. And even though your theology might be correct and you and I would agree, um, homosexuality is a sin and it's a sinful lifestyle and it's not what God has designed for us. But I would encourage, and I, I think you would probably agree to say, if you find your worldview crumbling in regards to topics like transgender rights and homosexuality, because you become friends with people who live that lifestyle, then in all likelihood, you actually are the one who has been indoctrinated. You are actually the person who needs to stop and say, okay, what is the actual capital T truth? And I believe, and you believe it is still that homosexuality is a sinful lifestyle, but it's not because they are any more of an evil person than me or you. And, and that's a diatribe only because I, I hear your heart and I know the reason why you're getting emotional is the same reason why I find myself usually being accused of being too moderate, being too centrist, being too gray. And it's because I say, I want to make room for people who disagree with me mm -hmm. without sacrificing the capital T truth. And so that's why I so much appreciate you. And when I saw this happening to you from afar, I thought, so I, obviously, you know, I didn't know each other, but I thought, okay, well, we'll see if she retreats, if she goes to the hard, far extremist right, because they want her now and you haven't done that. And so I, so, and somebody listening who says I'm far right, we're not talking about people who vote Republican. We're saying people who, um, they are, I don't know, their whole worldview is shaped around conservative politics, but that's, that's for another episode. But, um, but anyway, uh, I guess the, the last thing I would just want to hear from you, and, and I know that this might be difficult for you to say, but you know, you now are somebody who is doing interviews like this because of one tweet, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and you would have never designed your life this way. I'm sure. Do you envision yourself staying? Not necessarily just, I'm not asking if you're going to stay at Baylor. Um, but like, do you, do you envision yourself saying in these environments where you can continue to be a voice that embraces the tension and speaks for the truth in the midst of climates like this? Yeah. You know, Jeremy, I've been asked that a lot in, in interviews and just even in my private life amongst friends, I think that, and I, you know, this isn't lip service. I am sincerely praying through whether or not I should stay at Baylor. Um, I think even though I, I feel more protected than ever, honestly, you know, when the provost of your university comes out with a free speech statement on your behalf, you're pretty safe. But I do, I mean, just logistically, it would be challenging to continue to do interviews. I've been, um, two different book publishers have asked me if I'm interested in writing a book, um, which is always also funny on interviews because they're like, at the end, do you want to pitch your book? And I'm like, I have no merch. I, know. I thought I about asking no, you, like, I thought about asking you, but I was like, I knew the answer. I was like, she's not, she's not promoting no, anything. Yeah. No, I know. There's really, I'm just doing this. The, the heart of it is just to kind of raise awareness about yeah. having civil conversations and, and the need, especially within faith-based circles. Uh, so I think I don't know where I see myself going from here. I will say, again, kind of one of those funny ironies. Last year, I did a cultural engagement and leadership fellowship at Dallas Theological Seminary. I essentially went to them and said, 
I am interested, much like Karen Swallow Pryor, I think I might have even named her, and Russell Moore, kind of navigating these places where we are building bridges instead of burning them. But I want to learn from people. I don't want to assume that I know how to do this on my own. And so I sort of submitted myself under them for a year. Um, but again, you know, never imagined that I would be at the helm of it. Uh, just really kind of thought I would be more behind the scenes. How do I do this within a small C local church context? You know, kind of. But here I am. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where one goes from here. I will say I see a need for this. I think that there um, aren't a lot of people, there aren't a particularly a lot of women stepping up to do this. I have some thoughts, you know, for maybe a different episode on why that is. But I mean, yeah, I have some thoughts on that. But I do think that there is a space for this. And so I want to prayerfully consider this. Um, if you had asked me even just a month ago, the I, I've made it. This is what I've wanted yeah. to do with my life is to just teach, to write, to research, to bring light into dark places, to love my family well, to have a great community of friends here in Waco, Texas. I There was nothing else I had wished for or longed for. But sometimes the Lord calls you to these, these moments, these kind of like you know, Nehemiah moments, people mm -hmm. have called it. And I'm like, okay, all right, Lord, what do you have for me now? What yeah. am I to do? So yeah. We'll, well see. Yeah. Well, I'll say this and, and, um, and then I'll let you go. Cause you, you have about as busy of a schedule and, and you're still a wife and a mother and a teacher and all these other things. And, and yesterday I saw you posting about, um, the end it movement. And, and so I'm reminded even before we did this interview, I'm like, this is this zeitgeist, this cultural zeitgeist moment that she's in the midst of is actually not who she is and what she's about. And I'd love for my listeners to hear me say that yet again, because I think your work is so much more important than that. But I will say places like Baylor or who, wherever you end up are better for it because we need more people in on this all things, all people is all about helping people think like a Christian. And I think you are a phenomenal example of that as somebody who thinks like a Christian. And what that means is I don't retreat from hard conversations. I want people to ask me difficult questions but at the same time, I will stand firm on that capital T truth that you and I continue to reference. And so, Dr. Crenshaw, I so personally appreciate your work, and I'm excited to see what the Lord does in and through you. Um, I don't think that it's just going to be a 15 minutes of uh, you know, firestorm over a tweet. I think he's going to continue to give you wonderful opportunities, and I trust that you're going to steward those wisely. So thank you so much for your time and for being on uh, of all things in the midst of Fox News and so many other things, the All Things All People podcast. Thank you for having me.